0: With Ali Rizvi and Armin Navabi.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Secular Jihadist for a Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi and with me is Armin Navabi. Armin, uh, good morning to you, right? Yes. It's evening for me and it's morning for for Armin. Um, So... Just a, a quick note for everybody, that we there is a website, secularjihadist.com, for those of us who are joining us for the first time, or who are listening for the first time, uh, you can go to the website. Um, we are uh, very thankful to all of our patrons who are helping support the show. Uh, you can support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash sjme. Uh, if you can't, then just, if you like the episodes, you don't have to support the show, you can uh, share it, you can leave us a review on iTunes um, You can do, uh, there are many different ways of supporting it, just a note though once we get to 500 patrons um, we will start uh, uh, translating a lot of our shows uh, into uh, Arabic Farsi, Urdu um, Malay, a, a lot of the, the languages Bengali. that are spoken in some majority countries, yeah, Bengali and so on so um, do consider becoming a patron, anyway um, I'm going to get to this today. Uh, t- today we have on a guest. Uh, he's a, he's a professor and a writer who, is, who I've been quite influenced by uh, a lot of his writings. He's re- he's written several books. He is uh, a professor of sociology and secular studies uh, at Pitzer College in uh, Claremont, California. Um, he specializes in the sociology of secularity. Uh, and he has written several books, uh, including uh, the one that I was introduced uh, to him by, uh, was uh, Living the Secular Life in 2014. He's also written uh, his latest book, What It Means to Be Moral, Why Religion is Not Necessary for Living an Ethical Life. And uh, this is uh, the topic that we're going to be discussing with him today. Uh, Professor Phil Zuckerman, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the podcast.
2: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, so, I'm a fan of yours as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. And... Um, I have to say, that I, I did, blurb your book, and I said it was brilliant and provocative. And uh, it kind of, after I read it, I it, one thing sort of hit me is that you know people say that people who are non-religious tend to somehow not be moral, and I've realized that most people who choose to be non-religious, for them, it's a moral choice. They actually do it because they can't reconcile their sense of morality that's based on, say, whatever the golden rule. Um, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you with what they learn about the religions that they've they've been raised in. So, I mean, that that's something that um, really, really jumps out uh, overall as a theme in your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've, and I, I really, really liked it. Uh, so I enjoyed it. I you. mean, I, I think I read the whole thing in, in about two days. Nice. Uh, so when, when you sent it to me.
2: Appreciate so, that.
1: So, to, just to start with, how did you uh, become interested in this, in the in secularity, and uh, later on in you know the idea of morality uh, and secularism and non nonbelief? Uh, where did it all begin?
2: Yeah, I'll try to be. I'll try to give a cogent uh, narrative there. Yeah. Um, first of all, I just want to comment though on your initial observation. It just struck me that it is really a paradox in that religious people think that if you don't have religion you can't be moral, or atheists are immoral, and yet many people who become atheists do so because of their moral compass. I don't know, I just thought there was right. some interesting interesting balance there, or symmetry, yeah. in, in a paradoxical way. Um, in terms of also how I got interested in secularity, and then the morality, um, what I would say is that I, uh, ha- ha- I was not raised in a religious home at least in terms of belief you know we talk in, as sociologists and trying to study religion we talk about the three B's belief behavior and belonging um, as kind of trying to map the religious landscape and, and and these seem to be the big pillars and even though I was from a ethnic Jewish community uh, all four of my grandparents were refugees um, so in terms of the belonging, I understood religion. Sorry, that aspect. sorry to
3: cut you off. Your mic is touching your shirt. Do you do you think you could? Oh, oh, no. oh yeah.
2: Interesting.
3: So okay. There you it's
2: go. Har- also it's also hard for me to. I can't hear myself. Yeah. So it's it's making me feel like I'm in a underwater. Is there any way to fix that?
3: You could remove one of the headsets from one of yeah the, yeah. See if That's that works. So yeah. much better. <laughs> Actually, can you do the other one because that you remove the one with the microphone. That would be better. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. There you go. That's my That's great. You're
2: not using this microphone.
1: That one's not coming up. It's it's no. the one that's coming in from your earphones. It's fine though. If if this works for you, this works for us too. Yeah. This
2: works for me a lot better. All yeah, right, that's good. a really- Okay, good. So, All right, okay, don't worry. you were saying, we'll, we'll edit you were this saying that
3: yeah. you were saying from the three pillars—belief, community, and behavior—you understood the community one because of your Jewish uh, background. Yeah. Okay.
2: So we talk about belief, behavior, and belonging. And so I grew up without the belief. In fact, I'm a third generation atheist. All four of my grandparents were non-believers. My parents were non-believers. So the belief part, um, I never quite could understand. And when I started to meet religious people, um, that kind of freaked me out. I was like, what? You really believe this stuff? You know, when I, when I first, because uh, I grew up in a pretty secular neighborhood, uh, people were just, religion was not that big of a deal. But so, so I really wanted to study religion to try to make sense of it, excuse me, to try to understand it. And there's a huge, vast ocean of scholarship if you want to study religion. So you can study the history of religion, the philosophy of religion, uh, the psychology of religion, the anthropology of religion, the sociology of religion, the literature of religion—I mean, there's so much—and that's a good thing. We need to study religion. But it occurred to me about ten or fifteen years ago that no one, there was no scholarship devoted to the study of secular life, secular people, secular culture, secular movements, the history of secularity, um, secular ideologies, and on political movements, and and obviously in philosophy, there were, there was always debates about the existence of God going back uh, uh, to ancient days. But in terms of the social sciences, uh, anthropology, psychology, sociology, economics, political science, I felt like or many of us felt like the secular was being ignored. And and that's not good because the social science is about studying humanity and we want to understand the human experience and, and we want us to be people. And there's a huge growing chunk of people that are not religious. They yeah. don't believe in supernatural things they don't identify with religions they don't congregate with with fellow religious uh, brothers and sisters and they're a huge chunk of humanity in many countries they're the majority and so I got interested in that the study of 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 all aspects of secularity right um so you know how do secular people live um, um, how do they raise their children that kind of thing but I'm interested in all aspects so that so that's what I started studying. uh, That's what I did my research on, studying secular culture, studying secular people. But the question that came up most often at dinner (laughs) or, you know, at parties was the morality question. So, you know, that's what people seem to really grasp. It's almost as if, it's almost as if it's the last, it's the last thing they've got. Like science is kind of one (laughs) <laughs> the debate about mm. like how the physical universe works. Like, no, you, You're not going to get anybody saying like, yeah, but what holds up the clouds or, you know, but yeah. what created the stars? Everybody kind of accepts now that science explains much of how the natural world works. Um, but the morality one is, well, they say, well, but how can you be moral if you don't believe in God, or how can you be moral? How can there be morality if there is no God? And as a sociologist, I really wasn't, didn't have a lot of training in that. It sort of seemed obvious to me. Well, you can look at societies that are highly secularized; they're not descending into moral chaos. In fact, the most secular societies on the earth today are among the most most moral and ethical. They have the lowest I murder know. rates. The lowest. So I I would do that. And you've but...
1: written a whole book on that, I think, on yep. the Scandinavian society, society without God. I think
2: exactly, that, exactly
1: uh, on the Scandinavian uh, societies. Yeah. yeah,
3: I
2: have. There, so there's I was...
1: a, Susan Jacoby wrote your the New York Times review for living a secular life, and she started it with an anecdote where mm-hmm. I think, I, if I'm remembering correctly, yeah. if I'm not, uh, forgive me, but I think she she was at a party or some kind of gathering, and someone said that, well, if you're an atheist, if you don't believe in God. Then uh, what stops you from going around and murdering people. Exactly. And that is I think that's a crux, that's the most common Yeah thing that that people yeah. have. Uh,
2: I get it. that I I've heard comments like that all the time. I, I remember doing a debate at a church and a guy said to me in the lobby afterwards, he said, you know, the only reason I don't go around, around raping women is because of God. <laughs> and I'm
1: like What, the what fuck? does that say about you as a person? <laughs> exactly.
2: If, and that's, that's I left that I left that debate thinking Oh! it's projection. You know, the idea that you, you see in others what's actually going on in your own subconscious. So I started to think, the reason people think atheists are immoral is this projection. Like, are you kidding me? Like, empathy, compassion, you don't want to cause somebody else pain and suffering? This doesn't factor? It's just that, you know, this this person's, this being is watching you and might uh, punish you? So, I, don't,
3: I don't think it might, it's projection because I think a lot of these people that claim that religion and God is stopping them from doing evil things, if if you take away god and religion from them they're not going to go around raping and killing people even those right. people that think they right. need god but why right. what, why do you think it is that more, um, even atheists and secularists sometimes think maybe some people need religion to be moral to me to, to me that because it's, it does suggest that religion has been very very successful at uh, spreading the idea or uh, that they own morality or that they, they have this monopoly over m- morality. And I think it's mostly Abrahamic religions that do that because historically, this was not something that people thought. Like before Abrahamic religions gods were not in charge of giving us moral cause that much. I mean, Hammurabi, we have some examples, but gods were assholes themselves and they raped and killed and people are like, yeah, these gods are assholes. We just need to make them, keep them happy. It was the Abrahamic religions that really gave us the idea of that. Oh, gods want you to behave a certain way, But but they have been so effectively selling that idea that now even most of the planet thinks like, yeah, how could we have morality without God? Yeah, I
2: I think you've just given the narrative right there. I mean, that's absolutely right. Uh, uh, Basically, human morality precedes the world religions, Mm. for sure. But at a certain point, these uh, societies told stories, and stories are powerful. And those stories got written down, and those stories became hegemonic, and they became adopted by powers in the world, Mm. the Roman Empire and Europe and and the arab uh, powers took these stories and those narratives from the quran and the old testament and the new testament became the dominant stories for right. 2000 years and i think it's just because of that ability to to they they had the monopoly on the printing presses they had the monopoly on government so they had the monopoly on whatever media was available and we're seeing that start to chip away now finally but i think you're right for 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 hundreds of for many centuries uh religion basically said we're the source of morality everybody against us is immoral and they've been able to just get that that story into into our DNA, the dna of our of our societies for but, sure
3: but given that like before abrahamic religions like we had greek philosophers and uh far east philosophers th- trying to f- logically come up with ethical you know uh, and moral standards, it, it seems like it's not within our nature for us to be confused by this. Because pe- without, before the Abrahamic religions, people weren't looking at gods to come up with moral codes. We had many philosophers throughout history before religion trying to come up with m- a lot of nuanced discussions. some of them with good conclusions, some of them with bad conclusions. But they didn't think like they did in the divine authority. To come up with these standards and people didn't question it back then as well like um, so this whole confusion that people are like oh what, what do we do with that religion it does seem like it's a new thing like new I, I understand 2000 or 4000 years doesn't seem new but given that civilization is like 10,000 years old it is new and it also doesn't seem like for people to suggest this is a natural confusion it might not be that natural because this was not a confusion before right?
2: hard for me to speak to that I'm just not a historian I just oh, okay. don't have the I just don't have the knowledge of what people how people argued or thought about morality five thousand ten thousand years ago just right, hard yeah. for me to say right,
1: so, right. I had to had a question about is there a difference between uh and you know we'll get to some of the more basic stuff later but i I just really wanted to ask you this uh, is is there a difference between the because we, we talk about an empathy, of morality that's rooted in empathy, uh, but in a sense that, uh, you know, this idea of if uh, someone uh, steals from me, then I steal from them, right? That is also sort of, a, in a way, uh, th- th- when it came to justice codes, that was also the law for a while, which could be seen as rooted in empathy as well, that, okay, let's just say, like, the idea of a revenge-based kind of um, morality, now, using that, and that's that's the kind of thing that people uh, sometimes feel like someone comes and kills you know your child or does something terrible to your child. Uh, you say, "Well, I want to go." It's a good thing we have a justice system. Uh, otherwise, I would just go and I'd just kill this person. Or I'd do something horrible to them. Um, and and is there a difference between wanting to see justice done to somebody by punishing them, uh, where? Versus having a, a, a more sort of objective rationality based justice, mm. more than empathy based. I, I don't know if I'm being clear in what I'm saying. Does that make sense?
2: Or I think so. I mean, yeah, these are very different things. I think there's a there are gut desires and gut feelings for for some kind of revenge when we've been wronged, when we've been harmed. There's a desire to see the perpetrator harmed to the same degree but
1: that as a form of justice as
2: a form of justice
1: justice, yeah
2: you bet but um what i believe is that the story of moral progress is realizing that that you can't base a society on on that type of tit for tat that if, if you look at criminal codes they went from oh if someone you know cuts your ear off then they get their ear cut off uh, or it's even worse, if you look at Hammurabi's code, it was like, if someone harms your kid, then you get to harm their kid, their as kid, if the, yeah. as if the kid now has to have their leg chopped off. Because, oh, they,
1: they still you know. do that in Pakistan. In, okay. uh, in some villages, there's actual feudal yeah. courts that say, yeah. that allow the, the for example, the, the rape of somebody's sister, if uh, of a rapist yeah. sister, if he's, exactly. yeah. So and That's think, what happened to Mukhtar Mai as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, So it's horrific, and I think that as we progress, we realize that that, that that when you have that kind of a justice system, it actually, in the end, makes things worse for everybody. Yeah. Um, the, and, and so the idea is public safety, not necessarily revenge. So we do what we can do to... Um, if we can compensate the victim, we do our best. But there are some horrific crimes that there's no compensation that could ever make up for what happened. I mean, I've had friends who were murdered. I don't know how murder murdering the murderer doesn't bring my friend back, uh, so justice has to be um, without passion. It has a, a justice system, an institutional system, has to be dispassionate and rational. And you know that desire for revenge is neither of those things. And mm-hmm. but but I think I think uh, the desire for justice is a real desire. It's part of our I think our human nature. And so I do think that uh, governments have to balance sort of humane policy with the desire for justice and how you do that is very is going to be different in different cultures and different societies Mm
3: -hmm. so can we can we ask the main question like i think a lot of people that might be religious that are would be listening to this podcast the main question that they're going to have like okay fine you're saying there's going to be morality without god and all that where is this what is the source of morality if you don't have god like so can we that's that's the main question people are going to have
1: yeah so where does morality come from if it doesn't
2: Yeah. 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 So, so morality comes from us. (laughs) It comes from human beings, human culture. It comes from our the kind of brains we have. It comes from our experiences and our ability to recognize suffering. And that's it. Um, The idea, I mean, you have to understand when we talk about more something being moral. That's an adjective. If we call a person moral or we call an action moral, it's a describer. It's it's like calling something beautiful. And so that's like someone saying, well, where does beauty come from? Well, beauty is something that we recognize as humans, but it changes and shifts over time. There's no absolute, you know, it's not like something, you know, tells us what is beautiful in, you know, Oh, that's what beauty is. It's like it's something we feel. It's something we recognize, but it changes and shifts. So, if you think about when we talk about morality, what are we talking about? We have to define it. What do you What do you mean by morality? Oh, first we got to define it, and and there's no ultimate definition other than what we can agree on through conversation and discussion. Uh, there's, it's not written under some rock somewhere that, look, here's the definition of morality. I discovered this, you know, it's from 7,000 years ago. And even if it was, what does that mean? Oh, someone wrote something under a rock 7,000 years ago. So morality, as I understand it, means things like not harming people, helping people in need, not causing unwanted suffering, alleviating unwanted suffering, if possible seeking justice and fairness, um, being kind, being loving, being altruistic, being honest. So we could talk about different virtues. We could talk about different types of intentions or actions or consequences that on some level mean morality. So morality would be alleviating unwanted suffering and so on and so forth. So So now the question is, well, where does that come from? What is the source of that? And I would say the sources are as follows. Number one, it comes from our evolutionary history for hundreds of thousands if not millions of years we lived us and our earliest primate relatives in small groups of between 20 and 80 people and cooperation helped group survival and all that means is that those groups that could cooperate their offspring had an increased chance of reproducing it doesn't mean that we chose to be so groups that were kind to each other took care of each other took care of the sick care of the infirm who were honest who could feel what each other was feeling those groups did better and their offspring survived to this day the groups that were characterized by selfishness greed animosity distress tended to die out we still have that in our nature but it's not the predominant dominant force that's number one number two in that evolutionary story we developed brains with a heightened capacity for empathy and compassion, we have peptides and pathways neurologically that allow us to feel what someone else is feeling, to understand what someone is going through. So we're very sensitive to suffering, and that is the, the empathy and compassion are the dr- ultimate drivers that want cause me not to want to witness your suffering, that make me feel sick and bad if I watch or see someone else in pain, in agony, emotional or physical or both. So our evolutionary history as cooperating group animals, the kind of brains we have which developed the ability to be empathetic and compassionate. On top of that, you throw culture, right? We are raised, we are all raised by other humans. We can't exist without other humans raising us. So in that raising, we learn uh, what the norms and values of our culture and society are. And finally, we, we have our own minds that can reflect and think about and rationally consider actions and consequences. We have a word, it's called ought, O-U-G-H-T. We're the, that word is maybe what defines human beings. We can think what ought we do, right? I don't think my dog does that to the same degree, or a goldfish. I mean, maybe other primates might think what I ought, what ought I do to get those ants out of that tree? But we, we reflect on our actions and the consequences of our actions to an extreme degree. So all of those things, is where we get our morality but but I'll end with this that is actually one of the advantages that religion has. It tells people that they get their morality in this very facile, simplistic way. Oh, I get my morality from a magical invisible being, or I get my morality from the Quran or from the Bible. Um, And it's easy to grasp onto, it makes sense. Whereas the sources of secular morality are, are more complex. There's not, I can't say, oh, I get morality from this book or I get it from this scroll. It's like you have to unpack the evolutionary history of our society, the neurological components of the brain, uh, socialization and enculturation and reflection and all these things working simultaneously yeah,
1: yeah it's, a, it's a harder story to tell much harder right so and, and it's it's not as simple and uh, that goes for a lot of I because mean, even as soon as you start talking about the evolutionary hardwiring of it it becomes difficult and and there it seems to be evidence for this I mean I, I don't know if you read about that neurologist who was studying psychopathy and then he was looking at all of these uh, 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 MRI scans Uh, or you know fmri uh, i think studies that he did on all of his subjects and he had a control group and there was this in the control group there one sort of psychopath uh kept popping up and then he you know uh, redid the whole thing blinded it again and it kept on happening and it turned out that 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 uh uh that specimen was actually him himself and he found out that he was a psycho it's it's actually a really amazing oh, story there's uh, you can you can google it there's articles about it um i it kind of vaguely but uh, there is uh, there appears to be neurological evidence oh. of uh people who lack empathy and show psychopathic behavior well, absolutely. that's how it's, it's it's connected so absolutely yeah, so it's, could, it's it is actually quite literally hardwired into us.
2: Absolutely, uh, and there's many cases where people who experience d- different degrees of brain damage and suddenly their empathy e- e- uh, evaporates or disappears. Yeah. it's there's no question that it's part of our neurological makeup. Mm-hmm.
1: Armin, uh, yeah,
3: so it, it does it does seem to me that um, if we want to categorize the discussions that are uh, that are being had in, in the secular community around this topic, uh, there's there's people that are being obsessed with defining morality and then the second category of discussions is like, okay, what this morality is, where, what is the source and wh- where are we getting it from? And when it comes to defining morality, uh, I think a lot of us agree that, it, like, this is something. That there is, there is no definition of morality that is written in the fabric of the universe. This is something that we just have to come up with an agreement on what's, a, and based on how useful a definition it is. And I think a lot of us agree on, on the fact that if the definition is based on avoiding suffering then that's the best definition because it's gonna to lead to less suffering, if that's the definition that we come up with, right? So if our goal is to reduce suffering, definitions around avoiding suffering are the best definitions. When it comes to where we get this morality from, it seems that part is also uh, the answers to that is two categories of uh, answers, that we, two, two different camps that we, we get the answer from um, from the secular community is the ones that uh, focus on the natural aspect of that like uh, evolution and like the this and that that's mostly emphasizing the desire that we have for cooperation for sympathy and then uh, the evolutionary reason for why we have that desire for us to be kind each- to each other but then the second group of answer- answers are focusing on the social uh, agreements that we have came up with the social standards the rules uh it's less less about desires, but more about the standards and agreements that we made up uh, to run better societies, right? And to me, it seems like a lot of people give these two answers as if they're separate answers. But I think the relationship between these two answers are very interesting to me because one of them f- fuels the other one. They're not the same thing, but the fact that we have a desire to for less suffering, then. It leads to so that part is natural that part with that part we didn't create the part that we create is 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 systems and standards that are that is better than our nature and the relationship, i agree right because our our sympathy and our desires are very biased like we have a lot of examples like you you care more about one little child in front of you that is hungry than a million children in africa right so yeah. we have that natural desire
1: are you, are you empathize with people who are your same race or the same right. tribe? Um, absolutely what with the outgroups yeah absolutely so this,
3: the standards that we come up with is better than even what nature has gifted it's not For like sure. it's not that the nature part is not important because we wouldn't even come up with those standards if we didn't have the nature to feel those desires right
2: exactly right mm-hmm. and, yeah. amen okay yeah <laughs> it's,
3: it's <laughs> It's kind of Notice like the relationship between science and our personal logic, right? Because we do, we do want scientific standards because we understand the importance of logic. But our pers- exactly. the personal logic that nature has gifted us is very biased. Bias. So science Abs- gives us certain standards that adjust for those stand- uh, biases. And the, again, but morality, the sympathy is what we're being gifted to us by nature. But the social standards that we come up with is much better than that sense of sympathy, right? I agree. Okay. So, so yeah.
1: <laughs> uh I wanted to ask actually. There's one part in your book that I really liked is, uh, uh, you know, I guess you know people were talking about um, one of the common things you hear from people when they say that you know you have lack of religion that creates uh, immorality, uh, and they give the example of uh, Hitler and Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot and. Of that, and Hitler was Catholic. He he wasn't an atheist, but anyway, that that's a separate topic. But the larger point stands. You know, they say all these mass killers of the 20th century killed millions and millions and millions of people. Uh, they all happened to be atheists, right, and they had an atheist philosophy. Uh, and uh, you responded to it by kind of uh, putting them in competition with God. So <laughs> <laughs> you said, you said, okay, so let's take the the death count of Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot so on but then you have deaths caused by respiratory infection 485 million and this is between 1900 and 2000 uh by smallpox 400 million diarrhea 226 million malaria 194 million by snakes 6 million and and, and you you kept going yeah. and uh I, I, this is something that i find really interesting and i'm curious to see you know why you think this is 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 that when people say that if there's a natural disaster and their family gets saved, or that the tornado. There was that famous incident when Wolf Blitzer, I think, went. Uh, yeah. I, I can't remember where it was. It was a tornado or a, a hurricane that hit. Yeah. yeah, I think it was o- Oklahoma. And uh, uh, it was uh, Rebecca Witzman, I think. And, yeah. and he asked wow. her, he said, do you thank the Lord? Do you thank the Lord that your family got saved? And she said, no, actually, I'm an atheist. Yeah. And he uh, I, he should have followed up with well you know why is the atheist a person who survived and what happened to all the believing christians whose yeah. houses got swept away but why do people think that why why do people think that okay the hurricane god saved us from the hurricane but they never think of what actually put the hurricane in motion in the first place if they're believers you it, know or would god yeah. save my kid cancer you know my kid's cancer was cured well you know wouldn't God have given the kid the cancer in the first place? Like, yeah. wh- where is that? Uh, uh, why is that disconnect so common when <laughs> it feels so obvious?
2: Yeah. Well, that's when I wish I had a psychology degree instead of a sociology degree. <laughs> I, it's clearly something to do with how our minds work. And mm-hmm. clearly most people on planet Earth Uh, they're not thinking deep enough about something or the comfort is more important than the logic Uh, yeah I mean a plane can crash 300 people are bodies are strewn everywhere there's one survivor and they're like ah God it's like wait there's dead bodies everywhere I have an aunt right now strongly Catholic aunt there were fires in Los Angeles she had to evacuate five of her neighbors houses burned down hers did not and so she's like see it's God he protected me I'm like what the fuck like your five of your neighbors houses just burned down. So, and in that anecdote about about God, you know, basically that was this a, a, a rabbi wrote to me and said like, look at the 20th century, look at all the horror humans have have wrought and and all the genocides, clearly we need God because we just do such a terrible job taking care of each other. And that's when I was like, well, really we need God? God has allowed way more suffering and murder than all the humans. I mean, it's a little bit of a snarky point, but I just don't know why people don't take... I'll give you another example. Why, when when religious people get news that they have a, a deadly disease, a terminal disease, why aren't they so happy? Like, when the doctor comes in and says, you've got, you know, lung cancer, you've got three months to live, why aren't they like, yes, I get to go see Jesus so soon, you know? You guys have to wait here, but I'm going... It would be like... Well,
1: they, they all know. I mean, they know deep yeah. inside, I guess. So.
2: And there's actually, to talk about research, there are studies that show... What kinds of people who wants um, extreme attempts to save life at the end of life when someone is having some kind of, they're dying, do they want extreme measures taken to try and save them or not? And what they find in these, I think, two studies I've seen like this, that actually the religious people want the extreme measures more than the secular people, who are a bit more accepting of their mortality, whereas the strongly religious people, who you would think would be like, ah, no, don't don't go to extreme measures, let me just go to the Lord. So I think at the end of the day, the reason people, you know, they don't think, well, wait a minute, I mean, I remember being in church when I was a teenager I had a girlfriend and she took me to her, her father was a pastor, took me to the church and they were all, all the people were praying for this couple that had a, a baby that was dying of a bad heart and they were all praying. And I remember thinking, well, wait a minute, didn't God, isn't God in charge of everything? Didn't God make that baby's heart defective? Like, why are we all praying for God to undo his own plan? Like, didn't God yeah. already... And then well there's a lot
1: of insurance policies they still say that natural disasters are acts of God yeah, it's I mean that's they
2: So going. weird and then it if they so say strange. if they say well it's the devil I'm like wait so the devil has power to thwart God's will you know so I think at the end of the so, day it's something about the human brain that most people need the comfort the comfort of thinking that there's a loving parent who kind of looks out for them if they behave well um, and that kind of I think Freud got it right in Future of Illusion. I think it's a it's a it's an infantile model that gets that gets imprinted. Right, we, we we're bigger, powerful beings. Take care of us and protect us and love us and feed us as long as we behave well. And then, as people become adults, it's hard for them to shake that model. And why some people like us can think how irrational and illogical this is but most people can't what is it about our brains that is different from other brains that's i would love to understand that so yeah, so me too. i
3: do it, i can do it a bit devil's advocate for the religious people in regards to that scenario of like praying for something something that god did himself um they would say well that me praying for god to do something was also part of his plan um and <laughs> Yeah. So, like, but and then they will say, "Well, why does God need me to pray to Him for Him to change something?" They will say, "Well, no, God didn't need anything. That was for your sake. That you know, that suffering for you it might seem like a big deal, but but it's not. Given that this life is very small compared to your next life, which is the eternal life, these li- these are going to seem like little bit of inc- thing tragedies that seem like a big deal to you." Are going to seem like little bit of inconveniences for a much greater thing that God has sure. planned. For, God has planned for you. So those are sure. that's what they would say.
2: Right? Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I mean that explains that explains the tragedy, but it doesn't explain the logic behind praying for an outcome. In other words, in other words, if you're praying to God, you know, please cure my daughter. I mean, to me, you know, Ali, I think the most moving. Passages I've read. Many people have talked about, you know, how can God allow a certain amount of suffering and this the problem of evil. But when you write about, I think it was your nieces or nephews that died. Oh, when oh
1: the, my cousin who I mean,
2: came I, out of I, I I just was crying. I just saw wept through that. I I've never heard it written about so eloquently. And 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 you know, so to me, the idea of petitionary prayer, where you're asking God for something, is just fundamentally illogical mm. because. In other words, also getting back to the morality, I mean, let's say, let's say I take my son skateboarding this weekend and we're at a skate park and, he, and I'm sitting there watching him and he falls and he hits his head and mm. he's bleeding and I just sit there and he's unconscious and I just sit there. And then a parent comes up to me and it was like, Is that your kid? <laughs> and I say, Yeah. And they say, Well, why don't you help him? And I say, Well, he didn't ask. Mm. I mean, that would be wow. ridiculous. Like, what do you mean? You know? And, and they say, Well, call 911. I said, Why? He didn't ask. It's like God is watching everything. So if you're going to have – so God has to be asked to help ease your suffering. Like your child is sick, so you have to – God, please cure my – doesn't God know? So the idea that you have to ask uh, an all-powerful being to do something that he already knows is just so, – man, that would make God an immoral monster, right? Right. So yeah. the
3: explanation for that – again, I'm just playing devil's advocate. The explanation yeah, yeah, for yeah. that. So the thing is that what you, we don't as but the explanation to that is like as humans we think that we know what we need but God knows what we need more, and when when we are suffering that suffering might actually be a blessing because the what, when sure. we're pr- when we're praying to God, it's not the it's not the removing the illness that really. Is benefiting us the act of prayer is bringing us closer to god and okay. getting, clo- getting closer to god is even more important than that illness going away we don't realize how important that is the illness is such a minor thing comparing to how distant we are from God. So through suffering and thinking that we need God and praying to Him, it's actually bringing us closer to God, which by itself to them is actually even more important than the illness going away. So that's just basically kind of like an alarm clock, like the suffering, the pain, is like an alarm clock that that reminds you how far away you might be from God. And that actually ends up being more in your benefit, more than even uh, compared to all the suffering that you had to go through to realize that.
2: Holy right. shit. What?
3: <laughs> what?
2: <laughs> what? That's, a, that's some fucking fucked up logic. Man. But yeah. yeah it is. I'm trying to do this as the best. He's, of he's trying
1: to, because th- these are actually, you know, these are the kind of arguments that you actually hear. And, and so I, uh, you know, I have a question for you. You know, you said that you were raised several generations, um, non-religiously, your grandparents were non-religious, and, you were, and the first time you met religious people... Um, it was a little unnerving because it's the first time you know you thought oh you know you guys actually believe this stuff. So how did you, in your secular um, upbringing, having you know a Jewish background, uh, how did your family treat uh, these you know Jewish scripture or, or the the religious aspects of Judaism? Um, how did did you just assume that everybody thought there were myths or? Were you aware that people believed it one time, but it's not true? Yeah. How how do you process that? Because I'm actually, the the reason I'm curious about this is because I think that in in Living the Secular Life, I think, um, and in the interview you did with Sam Harris, Mm -hmm. you talked about some precedents about secularizing religions, Mm. which I found really interesting, because that's where all the rituals come in, how the rituals become Mm. secularized, like we talked about Christmas or or even sure. halloween or something you know they're originally all religious rituals and uh, i always wonder if uh, there is a precedent in jewish culture and the jewish community for other religions like like islam for instance mm. Especially since they have so much in common mm. the theologically
2: okay so are you tell me which do you want No me the talk? first
1: one the first one About i i'm can't... just kind of yeah thinking out loud. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah
2: um no i was raised we were raised in in such that we were taught that we come from a civilization that had a religion that it strongly believed five thousand years ago, three thousand, two thousand, one hundred, but that about you know two hundred years ago there was an enlightenment in 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 uh, in Yiddish it's called the Haskoila, or Haskalah, and the idea was that starting with Baruch Spinoza in Amsterdam right. and then up and but really getting big in the, in the 1800s and uh, people started to say, wait a minute, these these, these a- beliefs, these, these ancient beliefs, they contain a lot of wisdom, but they were made up, they're stories that all people tell told themselves many, many years ago trying to explain the world. So they have value in terms of their history, they have value in terms of cultural um, heritage, and it's great to know these stories, but we, they're not true literally. They are ancient myths, just like the Greek myths. You know, children in our schools, they read the Greek myths. They read about Apollo and Zeus and they think, oh, what great stories. And sometimes they even have lessons and moral tales, but they're not true. Mm. And that's how I was taught about the Jewish about the Jewish scriptures, that these were ancient stories that were made up, you know, Noah's Ark and, you know, and Moses and the Egyptians. And they were great stories for Dis- like Disney movies, but they weren't literally true. And so we celebrated holidays. My parents spoke a Jewish language, but um, we were not taught that there was a God watching us. We were not taught that prayer, there was any, you didn't pray, what was it? There's nothing to pray to, that we li- it's, the world is natural. We don't know why we're here. Uh, existence is ultimately a mystery. Um, and now you get on with your life and you treat people the way you want to be treated and you pursue your interests and you love people and you have relationships. And so, yeah, it was much more of a and I saw this a lot in Scandinavia, actually, where their yeah. Lutheranism, the Lutheran Christianity, again, it's part of their cultural heritage. A lot of coming of age rituals that they do, you know, birth, confirmation, marriage. A burial, but no one actually believes the stories are literally true. Even the Jesus stories, they see them more as l- nice tales, mm. but not true events that actually happen. So I think it is possible to have religious heritage, religious rituals, even community, without the supernatural beliefs. But, you know, it's, it's, it's rare, but it's possible. So,
3: can I say something? Really?
2: Yeah, yeah. Armin. By the way, note to patrons
3: that complain about me interrupting. I'm, re- I'm doing very good today. <laughs> I mean, uh, but... Yeah, you've
1: kind of gone all the way the other direction. I was okay. like, you know, just jump yeah. in. Okay. So, okay. <laughs>
3: um, so with regards to, like, Scandinavian countries, um, it's, it's very interesting to me because a lot of atheists and secularists, they, not, mostly actually just atheists, they mention Scandinavian countries, but religious people, mostly to counter that, um, they mostly mention China. Yeah. Uh, what do you like? So they—they they yeah. might ask. So a lot of people might ask you why? Why don't you talk about China? China is an not only a, most an atheist country. It's an atheist regime, uh, and anti- yeah. not, not only atheist anti-religious atheist regime, and they're authoritarian. Yeah. And here's yeah. your example of atheist atheist going you know bad. Yeah. Like so, why do we ignore China as an example?
2: Well, you just you just gave the answer right there. It's an authoritarian atheist regime. So in my work as a sociologist, we have to distinguish between what I call organic secularism and coercive or forced secularism. Mm. Organic secularism is where you have a free, open, democratic society where there are no consequences for being religious or non-religious. There are no laws against it. You're not going to get tortured, put in prison, kept out of university, kept out of a job. In other words, there are no consequences either way. So people can freely choose to be secular or religious, and there won't be any consequences either way, who they can marry, how they can live, okay. So that you have to have, then there are societies that are either coercive atheistic or coercive religious, right, where there are consequences if you are one or the other. So in the case of communist China, it is a atheist dictatorship. If you are, they only approve five state-sanctioned religions if you're even one of those, you cannot be a member of the Communist Party. Mm. If you are not a member of the Communist Party, there are consequences for your family, for your children, what kind of schools they can get into, what kind of apartments they can get, what kind of jobs they can get. So there's a very good reason to not be religious in China. And there it's very dangerous to be religious. Look at what's happening to the Muslim community in China. Mm. They're in concentration camps right now, having their organs harvested, a million people. So... I think I say to people, yes, there are horrible, horrible regimes that are atheist uh, by by government, right? Mm-hmm. The former Soviet Union, um, Albania under Enver Hoca, um, um China, Vietnam, where you have an official atheist society. Well, what I say to them is anytime you have an official atheist society, it's just as bad as having an official religious society. Look at Saudi Arabia. Look at Iran. I mean, if someone wants to talk about religion and they bring up or atheism and they bring up china then we can just bring up any atheistic uh, religious dictatorship religious dictatorships are bad for human rights and atheist dictatorships are bad for human rights which leads us to realize that it's the dictatorship is the problem not the atheist or religion and so that's what i say i say look we have to look at free societies and when those societies are secular by free choice they just seem to be doing very well
1: No, but uh, is that why you prefer to use the term um, secularism, since secularism is more of a separation of religion and state and implies more (laughs) freedom of religion and and so on? Or is it... I mean, yeah, I
2: yeah. use the terms loo- interchangeably. I In think a societal way,
1: I, I,
3: yeah, atheism. I think, they sh- I think they're completely... Sub- I think when we're talking about atheism, we're talking about individual beliefs, we're talking about yeah. secularism, we're talking about how to run a country or a, or a society, right? So I think if we so if want to focus on an individual level, what, what, what I try to say to my community at, at Atheist Republic is that and you could let me know if you agree with this or not, is that we shouldn't, we should claim that atheism doesn't make you immoral, right? We, and we have examples for that. We have many examples for that, but athe- without God, you could be just as moral. But we shouldn't go the extra step and say... Not,
2: not, not just as moral, more moral. More oh, that, moral. that is what I, that's th- the big That's the big mistake. It's not just as moral. In fact, if your morality hmm. is based in God belief, you're immoral. Religion destroys morality. It does yes. not set the standard. It so destroys I, I, it. I, was, I, Sorry, wanted, I was, wanted to actually supplement I that, Armin. I just, I just have to... I didn't mean to interrupt, but uh, know. I wrote my book specifically to counter that notion that we can be just as moral as religious people. It's right. the opposite. That's, uh, everyone... Actually,
1: before Armin, before you go on, mm. I just want to say, I want to read this out from Kirkus Reviews, which actually wrote this, where uh, they said that as Zuckerman makes clear... Without resorting to without resorting to smugness, which is, I, yeah, you're definitely not smug. <laughs> I agree with that. Okay. Secularity is not nothing, but rather a way of living that enhances moral virtues and promotes human decency. So, oh, yes. so Phil's position is, uh, and I kind of agree with it. That you know how we talk about atheism is just it's not just neutral because you know Anne Rand was an atheist and Stalin was an atheist, but the uh, the idea that uh, atheism and secularism both Are actually more uh, morally sound and morally consistent positions than uh, being religious. Okay, so so.
3: I I might disagree with you two here a bit. Okay, but by the way, we're talking. We I don't think we should use them. Well, then then
1: you are an apostate from the atheist community. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I do think that secularism and atheism are completely separate. I mean, not they're related, but they're different topics. I Uh, do for sure. Yeah, but when it comes to atheism. um, I do think that atheists are not more moral than religious people. The reason for for that is because I don't think it, what you're saying would be true if if religious people were moral were acting moral because they were following their religion. I think that the reason why that's not true is because I think religious moral religious people are are moral in spite of the religion, not because of it. Fair enough. Fair and, enough. And because I agree. Of, that's the same yeah.
1: point. The, the exactly. That's religious. They are it. the more moral they are, as we said. Yeah. So exactly. yeah, but I'm
3: just saying, like on average, if you're looking at I, what I don't want to claim is to go out and saying atheists are superior to religious people morally. I, all I want to say is that we're not inferior to you. I don't want to claim superiority to them. And I, I, I accept your point that people who do follow religion and they're moral because of religion, they're not really being moral. They're just following order. So those people, exactly. they're in, they're not, they, they are below us. But I think a- most religious people are not doing that. So they're just like atheists. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. They okay. just don't know it. <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: Okay. Sounds they good. just don't know it. So um, one more thing I wanted to talk to you about is that you have a, a part in your book uh, about the surge of secularism, and where Ooh. you go through a, and this is this is a great uh, collection of stats here that you have. It's called secularism surging, and you go you provide a sort of a country by country tally of how much religion has faded, Ooh. and it's pretty astounding. You said in in uh, 1960s, in the 1960s, it was less than five percent of Americans who said that they had no religion. Today is between 25 and 34 percent. And among uh, Americans in their 20s, it's 38%. Mm-hmm. In the U.K., 53%, a majority of them, yeah. for the first time in recent history,
0: uh, don't identify any
1: with history. any religion. Any, yeah, that's, ever.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, and in uh, uh, in Canada, uh, in British Columbia, where Armin oh, yeah. uh, used to live, 45% uh, don't identify with any religion. New Zealand, it's 40%. So its you know, I was looking at all of this, uh, and then, of course, there's the Scandinavia. Right, where you were talking about how many how many theists there are, um, in uh, you know Norway, Sweden, Denmark, so on. And I was thinking of this uh, alongside you know we had Steven Pinker on the show uh, some time ago, and his book is called Enli- you know, Enlightenment Now and Before. Yeah. He had The Better Angels of Our Nature, where he talked about how violence has declined, how yeah. just overall we have uh, better moral sensibilities, and um, he also talks about the Scandinavian countries uh, quite a bit. And it seems like the most. There you go, enlightenment now. Um, and uh, it's. Uh, I, do you think there is a correlation between the you know declining? Even though uh, people tend to think of religions as birth identities, so the Pew and Gallup will come out and say in 2050 mm-hmm. there will be more Muslims. Muslims yeah. than anybody else, but according yeah. to them, they're going to count Armin and my, myself as Muslims, including our kids, because they're kind of looking at it as a birth identity. They're not yeah. looking at how people actually report in, in terms of, you know, what they believe.
4: Yeah. So
1: uh, do, do you feel that there is a correlation, especially considering what you've written about and, and researched uh, about the Scandinavian countries?
2: A correlation between what and what? Uh,
1: b- between sort of progress, declining violence, uh, increased uh, security and safety, better economic prospects, uh, more innovation, all of that, all of these sort of positive yeah. infant mortality rates and yeah. so on, healthcare, all of that and declining religiosity oh, overall. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. The best book on that is called The Sacred and Secular by Inglehart, Norris and Inglehart, they're political scientists. There's no question that the, 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 we have so much data internationally that as societies become more Safe, more secure, more democratic, wealthier, but also egalitarian. So it's not just a few are wealthy and everybody else is poor. As uh people have a greater sense that life is less precarious, so they have health care, they have housing, they have jobs, they have education, there's a stability in society, religion plummets. And where life and where life is more precarious, where you don't know if you're gonna have a job, you don't know if you're gonna have a home, you don't know who's gonna be in charge of the government tomorrow, you don't know if there's gonna be a war tomorrow, you don't know if you're gonna have medicine, all these things, religion is very strong. And that is one of the more robust correlations we have. So to me, it's not that secularism causes all these wonderful societal outcomes, but rather all these wonderful societal outcomes tend to increase secularity or atheism or secular study. That said, secularism also does play its part. I do believe that in the history, in the last 150 years, enlightenment values, Mm. rationalism, and even a fair amount of atheism in certain societies have been part of the struggle for better conditions, more democracy, women's rights, gay rights. I don't think they're the main driving engine, but they certainly are part of it most of the time not yeah.
1: always and it seems like a lot of this has to do with what you were talking about before which is comfort and just a sense that there will be justice if you feel like you're not getting justice oh then, yeah you know, you're you've been uh, sort of a, a, you've been unjustly given a, a very, very unfair life while well, there are That's people who right. are terrible people up at the top and That's they're right. going to live and die and they're never going to pay for it. You want them to pay for it at some point. You want this sort of sense of justice and it gives you comfort maybe to think that, okay, at some point you're going to get that. Um, sure. So that, I, feel, I feel like that may be one of the the main drivers of it. Yeah, Armin, go so, ahead. Uh,
3: can, I, can I take a, uh, ask a question that is going to take it to a different direction? Or do you want me to? Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. So, 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 so one major question people ask um, is whether morality is objective or subjective. Do you have any thoughts on that? That we could because that's one of the most common questions that comes about morality when you bring up this topic. It can
2: can only be subjective.
3: It could only be subjective. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. So, so, does it not depend on? what we mean because so if i i the way let me know if you disagree with this okay so if by objective we mean whether if it's written in the fabric the laws of morality is written in the fabric of the universe the answer to that is like obviously not it's not objective in that sense right but i think if once we define morality okay and once we have a goal defined Yeah, the answer—the answer on how to achieve that goal most effectively—that's an objective thing.
2: Sure. Okay. So that's that's Sam Harris's argument in the moral landscape. Moral landscape. Yeah. But but realize you have you gave three premises. Once we define, well, right. right away, now it's subjective. Once right. we decide what is the best outcome, once we, yes. So yes. so it's ontologically subjective because it resides in the ideas and beliefs of people. Of course. But once, yeah, once we lay that, then there are, you know, if we all agree, for example, that life is of value, mm-hmm. um, then we can find objective ways to right. make life better and longer for sure.
3: So, so that's what people get confused because when we say there's objectively better answers for us, uh, for, how, for us to reduce suffering, so therefore there's objectively better ways to be moral, a lot of people may think that we are suggesting that morality, from the very big, even before defining it, is objective. No, that's not what we're saying. The, right. That part of it is objective. That doesn't mean the whole coming up with wanting right. for us to be moral, that part is not objective
2: right? So, I totally agree. Okay, great. I okay. agree. Okay. I mean, the way, yeah, the, the the and the trap, see, because what what the religious people will say is, oh, if you say that morality is subjective, then it's just whatever you say it is. And that means Hitler's moral, you know, like, that's the trap that people fear. Right. So they, they're scared to say, oh, no, no, it is objective, it is objective. But it, it depends what you mean by objective. So if you define, to me, if objective means Beyond or irrespective of human will Mm. or human thoughts or human opinion, you know, gravity exists whether if we all died tomorrow, the Mm. laws of gravity will still be there. It's an object, you know, but but morality is something that we decide, we consider, we feel, we experience, we argue about. So in that sense, it's bound to human view and human perception and human, but beyond that, yes, there are, I think, objective ways to then decide what is the best way to reach a certain uh, right. uh, outcome, for sure.
3: Right. And the, the reason why the the subjective part doesn't scare me as much as it scares uh, a lot of rich, religious people is that even though it's subjective, the fact is that most of, given the reasons that you give, the natural, the evolutionary reasons most of us want to be compassionate and kind to each other Absolutely. And most of, so it is subjective but it's a subjective that the vast majority of us have a agreement on that it's a desire Absolutely. that most of us have and the few Absolutely. and the few minority of us that don't have it which are which is basically the psychopath yeah because the majority of us do desire it the, it's in. It's even in the, their best interest. It's even in the psychopath's best interest for <laughs> us to be ruling the world. For us to coming up with standards. Like psychopaths yeah. wouldn't want psychopaths to be ruling the world, right?
2: <laughs> That's. You should right. make that a t-shirt. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right. So okay, I think I think we have solved the issue of morality. That's, that's right. right. Go. <laughs> that's right.
1: Yeah, now we know everything. I have. Uh, there are some uh, questions we have from yeah. our patrons. Um, if you have, uh, I, I know we have about three minutes left. If you have, if you can take a couple of questions, or you yeah, could, okay. love to. So, uh, and uh, what will happen is uh, after after uh, Phil goes, then Arm and I will sort of continue discussion this discussion as well. But the first uh, question comes from Rocket Sauce.
2: Yes, I love rocket, rocket sauce.
1: sauce. <laughs> uh, and they're saying, what does a secular society need to learn to take from religious cultural practices so as to avoid throwing out the baby with the bathwater? And the example that they're giving is like the community, the sense of community in yeah. church. Uh, yeah. And, so, yeah,
2: Yeah. so basically Robert Putnam and his work on, on, on social capital, he wrote a book called Bowling Alone. Um, and social capital is the idea that that people embedded in social networks can draw from those social networks when they are in need. So if you're high in social capital, there are people that can help you when you're sick, people that can help you when your children are sick, people that can support you when you lose your job, and you have people that can that can act as cushions when life is tough. And if you're low in social capital, you're isolated, you're alienated, you're cut off, you're more likely to be depressed, and you don't have those groups. And so what we know from an American context, and probably Canadian as well, I would assume, um, that people who are embedded in religious communities have greater social capital, and communities that are high in social capital seem to do well. They do better than highly individualistic societies where people are not socially uh, networked as much and embedded as much, so I would say the two best things from religion are that social capital, where people take care of each other when they're in need, and the second thing is ritual. I think life, we need uh, moments of significance that are set apart to recognize certain changes in life, uh, be it coming of age, be it debt passages in life, be it marriage, be it menstruation, whatever. This, those things are, are good and wonderful, and they seem to be universal. So all societies have some form of ritual, a life cycle ritual, and all and all societies seem to thrive. All groups and people seem to thrive when they're socially embedded, and they seem to be worse when they're isolated. In fact, Durkheim's great study on suicide showed that the more isolated isolation in society, the higher the suicide rates. The more social embeddedness and integration, the lower the suicide rates. So I would argue that yes, secular societies um, would suffer without those things. So the question is, how do we how do we ensure those things? And what I would say is. My first reaction is: Look, there's two options. One, we secularize religion, so we keep religion. We just get rid of the silly mm. nonsense. We get rid of the fairy tales, the mm. threats of hell, uh, the God is king, like Jewish communities or Scandinavian Lutheran cr- communities, where we kind of keep what we like, but mm. we get rid of the rest. On the that's other kind of, hand- like,
1: that's kind of like what we were uh, talking about in terms of just keeping the rituals, exactly, because that's really what you you keep.
2: Exactly, and it's a, it's the same reason Americans love the Fourth of July. They don't really know the Constitution, and they don't even know the history of the Revolutionary War. But they love the Fourth of July. They love Thanksgiving. Even though they don't, you know. There's there's many things we do that, and there's many significant secular rituals: graduation from high school, uh, prom night, you know, married weddings. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do that are secular without religion that are still ritualistic. But on the other side, I would say. The notion that religion provides certain things like community and what will we do when it's gone is a very limited view of humanity. Look, I was in Vietnam last uh, May. Vietnam is not a Christian society. The whole idea of like a church that you go to on Sunday and that you play softball for the church, that doesn't exist in Vietnam. This is a a long, deep, rich culture with a huge, long history and heritage that doesn't rely on congregations to give people a sense of meaning. So the whole notion of a kind of like we need the community that religion provides is a very American kind of 1950s view that is not universalistic. Right. Asia, much of Asia, much of Africa, uh, much of South America did not like rely on religion to give people a sense of community, Mm. social bonding and social capital. so my sense is like, humans have figured this out before. If religion, if a certain kind of religion fades right now, they will figure it out in other ways. Then change is the only constant.
3: So so the, the only danger with secularizing religious rituals is that non-secularized religious uh, institutions might want to use... You know if religion is dying but we're still keeping the label and we still keeping the branding a lot of people use that as counting their number c- counting on their side and ch- try to keep spreading the idea that there's you know they're relevant and they, they sure. use that as a way to market religion and keep religion ar- around however i'm not against That I I mean, I'm I put up a Christmas tree, I like going to churches, I like going and looking at mosques, and I find a lot of their arts and everything, all of that beautiful. So, I'm not against that, I just think that the people that want to remain culturally Christian or culturally Jewish, or and much less so, but culturally Muslim, um. I do think that these people really need to signal that the fact that this is only cultural. Like they have, to, I agree. They have more responsibility to spread their, the fact that they're non-believers more than other yeah. people to avoid the. Brain. I agree. Yeah, the multiple. that's why
1: I wrote a book about it, Armin. you're welcome.
3: Yeah,
1: you. And so did and so did Phil. With, you know, living a yeah. the, the, the lot of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, another question uh, comes from uh, Anne uh, Marin. Uh, she's saying, Phil, even without belief, did you ever struggle to find morality in Torah stories? If so, how did you process that? I'm ex-Jewish and often struggled with that. Eventually I gave up. So.
2: <laughs> wow, I've never heard someone say ex-Jewish. That's pretty sad. That's a real yeah. that's, that's a real damaged damaged <laughs> person. I mean ex-Jewish. that's beautiful.
3: No, that's beautiful. I love that ex-Jewish. I think more people should be able to say that.
2: Yeah, but Jewish no, but- is not just a set of beliefs. It's a it's a um it's a heritage and it's actually genetic i gave my spit to 23 and me and it came back 99.9 percent ashkenazi jew there's no marker for muslim christian buddhist hindu only a marker hindu, it for is jewish. for hindu
3: no no hindus have the hate hindu eight so-called hindu atheists have the same disagreements with each other than in the jewish so atheists in the jewish community i know a lot of people that say i'm an atheist jew and i know a lot of people say like no i'm not an atheist jew i'm an ex-jew atheists right and there's a debate yeah. between the jewish community on that the hindu atheists have the same have the same dilemma the, a lot of them are saying i'm a hindu right. atheist some people are like well, I'm let me put it, it this way
2: right. can you be an ex persian no but he that's the that's the issue i mean it doesn't you can't it's but, like if you if you see jew yeah no i know it's a debate yes. and any and people can identify however they want it's none of my business i'm just saying that I don't hear that a lot like I hear people say I'm a secular Jew mm. or I'm not really Jewish or my mom wasn't Jewish or I don't believe anymore. But to call yourself ex-Jewish is in yeah. a sense to so me. It is like it saying, is in, so it is increasing
3: and the reason yeah. why it's increasing is because people say like well I'm not ex-Jewish when it comes to the definition of a Jew as a ethnicity. I am ex Jewish when it comes to the definition of a Jew as somebody who believes in the Jewish religion. For sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. There is
1: actually, we had uh, uh, David Silverman on the show. Oh, yeah. And David Silverman famously did that talk where he he told uh, a bunch of secular Jews that he's like, you are not uh, Jews, you're atheists. Uh, because he his uh, his position was, and it was actually really interesting because we had a whole conversation about this, and yeah. I, I am still kind of uh, there are places where he makes a lot of sense because he argues things very well, um, but uh, there are other places where well he says he hesitant. says
3: there is no such thing as a Jewish race. There is only yeah. Ashkenazi Jews is a real thing, but other right. than Ashkenazi Jews, Judaism is not a race.
1: Right. So he was basically saying that the ethnicities were. Ashkenazic, Sephardic, and, and yeah. so on. Because the yeah. Sephardic and the Ashkenazic, they don't really share their their 23andMe profiles yeah. are, are, are going to be as different as anybody else. So sure. so there's, uh anyway, that, that's another... Yeah, uh... no,
2: I guess, okay, what I would say is, look, people can identify however they want. It's none of my business. And whether Jews are a religion or race, an ethnicity, a culture, this is a long debate. Mm. If you define Judaism as just a religious, set of religious beliefs, mm. then for sure there's nothing genetic about it. And you can be ex-Jewish if you held those beliefs, and you no longer hold those beliefs. If you see Jews as a people with a common history, mm. then you can. It, it doesn't. You can't. It's like saying you're. Ex, you know. Then you can't really be ex-Jewish. It's. It's part of your background. But again, I. I really don't care. But what I, I would
3: say. To the, yeah, sorry.
2: No. What I would say to the woman is, yeah, when I re- heard those Torah stories. They seemed really immoral. The one that was the most immoral to me was the Passover story, where where God killed the firstborn Egyptian sons of the Egyptian people. And I remember uh, thinking that what a what a what a genocidal maniac uh, when I heard about uh, Abraham being willing to kill his own son Isaac because God told him to. Uh, when I heard about you know what turning uh, the woman into a pillar of salt, uh, I mean most of the stories. Struck me as really immoral and disgusting. I I like Ecclesiastes. I think there's some great stuff in there. Um, I think uh, the story of Job is pretty powerful because in the end, God comes off like an asshole and you see that God really has no defense. But yeah, I think the God of the Old Testament is is horrible. But there's some good stuff in there too.
3: But this is yeah. the problem with Judaism um, when it comes Th- there's, to the, the... there's lots of problems. With Judaism. <laughs> no, but com- compared to other religion, because this vagueness between behind okay. So when it comes to Judaism, it could mean a religion. It's, uh, it could mean a, a culture and history. It could mean yeah. uh, it could mean an ethnicity. And more recently, yeah. apparently, it could also mean a nationality. That's the fourth definition right? that they're coming up. Right? Um, and That's I think and brilliant. I think, And I think that this is really strategic because now if you go after the religion, uh, people could accuse you of being anti-Semitic because of the confusion between what, what you're talking about, right? And I think, you know, Islam, I mean, I tell people like, you know, when we go after Islam, a lot of people accuse us of being bigots. I I, I tell people, imagine how much more easier it would be for them to accuse us of being bigots if the word for Muslim and Arab were the same word, right? Right. But because Judaism has that strategic benefit, it's really hard for us to go after Judaism without being accused of being anti-Semites.
2: Yeah, uh, uh absolutely well I think I think, um, I think uh, I, a strategic benefits hard for me since I lost so many family in the Holocaust yeah. no I strategic benefit
3: it, for the religion
2: against yeah. us oh, against yeah, yeah. us
3: for the religion yeah yeah oh
2: for sure yeah and I yeah. think I think um, you know all religions I always try it like with my students who, who fear Islamophobia or as is, you know I always say like you have to make a distinction between a set of scriptural doctrines Mm. and then actual people right are you critiquing beliefs Mm. ideologies scriptural doctrines texts or are you critiquing actual people that live down the street from you and go shopping and send their kids to children these are two different things
4: exactly
2: when i say i'm critical of islam i don't mean muslim people Mm. i might critique an individual muslim person because i don't like what they're doing as a person Mm. but When I say I'm critical of Islam or Judaism or Christianity, I mean the doctrines as they are enforced and pushed upon people, either, you know, or the beliefs in the scriptures, the Quran, the Hadith, the Sunnah. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's what I mean. And so I agree with you with Judaism. It's like if you want to critique the Jewish religion right. and then you're automatically called anti-Semitic, that's fucked up because yeah. you can, you're can you not against Jewish people. You might just be critical of certain religious practices. Which just like most Jewish so people are. Just like most ethnically absolutely. Jewish people are. Absolutely.
3: And, yeah, yeah. And, and, that's right. and, and I are think I, a lot of people think that I pushed it too far when I compared it to like white supremacy because, Ju- I, let me know if you disagree with me, but Judaism, the, the religion of Judaism is a race supremacist ideology it teaches you race supremacy right all
2: ancient all ancient uh, yeah, people yeah. thought of saw themselves as the chosen people no yeah or but, but, but islam, well
3: actually well okay so re- islam is a tribalistic re- religion yeah. it, do- it is tribal like muslims are superior right. to non-muslims but it's not right. based on race judaism oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. judaism That's is right. a race supremacist religion so if yeah. you I tell people if you're against white supremacy you should also be against Judaism because Judaism is a race supremacist religion. And people are yeah. like wow Armin is comparing the victims the main vi- Jews are the main victims of nazism which is a re- white supremacist religion. I'm like oh Armin is comparing the victims of of white of nazism to yeah, nazism. This, this I'm like no I wasn't talking about people I was talking yeah. about the the ideology it is yeah. a race supremacist that, yeah.
1: Yeah. those are these are things, as you said, it's, it, it's unfortunately, even though it seems very like it's common sense to us, it's very important to right. uh, t- to say outright that we're talking about the, 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 the actual theology and we're not talking about the people. So yeah. I, I was going to I'm going to let you go. There, yeah, there's uh, one I... quick question, if you want, uh, or last if question. you're good with like a quick. So this one, uh, Dr. Zuckerman, the last one from mars uh dr zuckerman what's your perspective on the dangers of preserving religious rituals at the risk of carrying over fundamentalist material uh i agree we do need rituals and structure but the leftovers he's asking but the leftovers can come back to bite us uh later on in the rear
2: yeah that's true you never know it's always hard to know there's Mm. always unintended consequences There's always those things that come back and bite you in the rear. And it may not even work. You know, Mm. I remember when they started to do all these atheist communities like Sunday Assembly, someone, you know, and and all these kind of like humanist congregations where you would you would just have community and ritual and singing, but no, no God. Mm. And I remember somebody said it's like non-alcoholic beer. Like, what's the point? Um, So it may not work. It may not work to secularize these religions. I think it has to happen again organically. You can't force it. It's either going to happen or it's not. I don't think Jews, you know, chose to stop believing. It just happened. I don't think Scandinavians chose. Mm. It just kind of happens and we can try to figure out why, you know, what economic and political and cultural and historical factors. But I think um, if we can try to maintain certain rituals, I think it can be done successfully. But, yeah, the, the, the caller's right. It, you never know. And maybe we ought to get rid of the baby and the bathwater.
3: So. <laughs> All right.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Uh,
3: sorry, we're Armin, gonna continue wanna talk- I want to continue talking about this after you leave because I have my own take on this. But yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, anyway,
1: and, and we're going to – but thank you. This was, like, amazing. Yeah. It was a, really oh, so insightful. You. And I, again, I have – the book is What It Means to Be Moral. Uh, why religion is necessary is my not necessary, yeah. not necessary for living an uh, an ethical life. Um, it's a, it's a fantastic book. I I really enjoyed it, and I've got so many things here like dog-eared to to ask you maybe at some other time. But
2: next time,
1: uh, yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, really, thanks,
2: really Armin. It, thanks, though. Ali. No, thank my you. pleasure.
3: Sorry for going over keep time. Up. It was too no, good. No, keep up the good <laughs> work. Thanks so much for everything. All thank right, take you. care. All right, All right take bye. care. Bye bye. All right. So all right. Do you, uh, you might okay, I'll just hang up myself That. How do I remove from call?
1: There you go. Alright, hold okay, on. Good. I
3: need to fix the windows. You can keep talking while I fix the windows. Okay. Yeah, so I'll keep first.
1: on talking. Yeah, I thought that was uh, really interesting. His his book is really, really good. Hmm. Uh I am going to um uh what it means to me. I'm going I to have, read we, out the...
3: Th- that last sorry? question... Wait a Let's keep answering Patreon questions until we're done with the patron questions. But the right, last we'll point... That. The last point... I, that- I'm
1: just going to read my... Uh, just uh, the blurb that I wrote uh, that appears on the book. Uh, I'll just read it out for the audience so they, they, that they know. What I wrote about it was uh, I said that um, in this brilliant, provocative, and timely book, Phil Zuckerman breaks down the myth that our morality comes from religion, compellingly making the case that when it comes to the biggest challenges we face today, a secular approach is the only truly moral one. So I think he makes a very compelling case that it's not secularism, atheism aren't just neutral. They're not just like, well, this is another set of beliefs, you know, whatever it is. It, they're actually morally uh, more sound and more consistent uh, positions to have. All right. So can I go? Can but I, anyway,
3: can I respond to that last thing? Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah whether
3: should be afraid okay so i want to make it i think I, this is the first time i'm going to do it i want to separate the idea of secularizing the rituals of religion from the whole idea of reform ali i need you to pay attention to this so let me uh, yeah. know when you stop typing
1: yes, I um, I, i'm listening to you man okay okay i'm just All responding right. to Mars. because this yeah. is
3: very important okay this is a key thing that i'm introducing I, I i'm discussing for the first time here because i've been very much anti-reform but the idea of secularizing rituals, I'm not against. And these are separate things, okay? The idea of reform is trying to keep the religion and the belief in the religion as something valuable, okay? That is different from secularizing rituals. Secularizing rituals and keeping them as something cultural is, comes with the admission that none of these ideas are based in reality. Okay, right. So that is not reform. I support that. In fact, I like religious rituals. If it comes with understanding, it's basically like enjoying Marvel fictions, or Harry Potter, or dressing up in Star Wars costumes. It's pretty much that you understand that this is fiction, you understand that these are myths, you still enjoy the rituals. That is not reform. That is secularizing the rituals and keeping it. That is completely okay. Okay. Yeah, and completely- it's,
1: it's actually, it's yeah. actually very satisfying too. So, right. uh, there was a, I, I who was it? I think it was the governor the- of Wisconsin, uh, Scott Walker, hmm. who tweeted out this whole thing that this is not. This he put out a picture of a Christmas tree and he said that this is not a holiday tree. This is a Christmas tree. And uh, I responded to it because over here, so many Muslims and so many atheists, they all have Christmas trees. And and there was this one Christmas tree with a crescent on top of it (laughs) instead of a star.
3: Right. right, uh, Because
1: it was a Muslim household. And I just posted it. And I was like, hey, Christmas Mubarak, it's not just yours anymore. (laughs) Christmas has as little to do with Christ as Thursday has to do with Thor. And um, it was, and I enjoy that. I like that because it actually pisses them off. Right. So that's one thing I like because, you know, you you take it and you make it something of your, it becomes like a universal thing. And a lot of the rituals we have now, like Halloween or, you know, Halloween was also an old pagan religious ritual, right? That eventually became secularized.
3: Right. But Um, the the reason why I think it's important to focus on removing the belief is because that's the fangs of religion. Okay. Yeah. That's You know, so if you secularize the rituals... And keep it without, without the belief. Without the belief is the key phrase here, okay? Just take that part. Without the belief. Because if you if you say without the belief, you have defanged the whole thing, okay? The problem, the danger of reform, the danger of reform is that it lets you keep the belief without some of this shocking, um, the shock value of, like, ISIS or all the beheadings and all that like, Gory stuff like oh my god, but the, that's dangerous because it keeps the belief and lets the belief survive for longer. And all those shock value might come back because you know all those all those shocking things might come back or it might not come back. The main cost of the re- most cost of belief is not actually those shocking ISIS suicide bombing stuff. The co- main cost of religion are more subtle ways that you get fucked by religion on a daily basis in ways that doesn't make it to the headline news, right? So the belief if the belief stays there the cost of religion is going to be with you like i tell people always like if you enjoying harry potter when you understand that this is fiction the doesn't cause society any harm, but if people all of a sudden believe that Harry Potter is based on the real world That's a society that is going to be very dangerous to live in and I could come up with many Consequences from that that might not even cause in people doing suicide bombing or worse But if you live in a society where people believe that Harry Potter is, is real There are going to be a lot of problems in this society in many many different subtle ways so so removing the belief is the key element and if you if you keep rituals and you don't have the belief that is not reform and the danger with reform reform is actually even danger and more dangerous than the fundamentalists i think in this day and age because it's the main defense mechanism for keeping these beliefs relevant keeping the religion alive keeping the beliefs relevant okay so again yeah. um it's very easy to mix these two with each other, reforming religion and secularizing the rituals um, because it's, it, for a lot of people it seems like they're the same like as each other because it, it's, they are both sold as keeping something from religion and but removing the harmful bits. That's why they confu- people confuse them with each other. But what I'm telling you is that secularizing the rituals is actually removing the harmful bits, which is the belief. But the idea of reform is actually keeping the most problematic part of religion with it, which is the faith, which is the belief in things without evidence. All right. So that was my thing. Anyway, should we go to the uh, the, if if you wanted to add something to this? Go on, or else we could go to the other patron question. Yeah,
1: no, I I think that I wanted to kind of talk about in in terms of what what Phil actually said uh, in his interview with Sam Harris this is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. This is before Sam Harris did the podcast and just did sort of interviews and put them up on his site. Uh, so uh, he when he talks about secularizing religion, he talked about how uh, certain religious groups achieved this, like Reformed Judaism, uh, where they took rituals and holidays. Uh, uh, you know, they took. Uh, charity, the sense of community and belonging, and they kept a lot of that. Uh, they kept what they liked from Judaism, but they outgrew the super. And so it was very characteristically, the idea was that they didn't believe. They got rid of the faith mm. and kept the fun. Keep the fun, <laughs> right. get rid of the faith. And that's how That's how I look at it. Keep the fun and the food and, and, and get rid of the faith. Especially so- the food, yes. Yeah, so uh, there was this, and and then of course there are some rituals. I mean, even with the rituals, you got to be selective. You want to keep, you don't want to keep FGM or male circumcision, or you know, uh, you don't want to keep any of those things. You want to keep the stuff that is again, the the fun without the faith. So he also yeah. sa- gave the example of Nordic Lutherans, uh, and he said, "quote uh, They observe traditional religious holidays and congregate now and then, even in church, and uh, they even feel Christian." Uh, But they do all of these ostensibly religious things without a scintilla of actual faith in the supernatural. Mm -hmm. And I just want, like, when I quoted him in my book, I was saying, I just wanted people to imagine, and this is in the chapter called A Tale of Two Identities, imagine that if you're, as a Muslim, right, as part of the Muslim community, you know, you're, you are, your family stays your community you're still part of your family you're still part of your community you're an open atheist you don't believe in anything but you can still come to the ramadan iftar parties you still have them but they're bring your own booze or iftar parties right? right you can have like all kinds of games you can have you can intermingling only say of that the that sexes with the
3: funnies, by the way with the shias there's nothing fun to keep ali i'm telling you Okay, this is why
1: I was so. Oh, no, yeah, the Ramadan and the. No, no it is fun to keep. I find. I no, actually no, no. With,
3: with you, that. okay. So I, I think maybe I'm biased. Okay, because I, this yeah. is why I was. And, confused.
1: and by, let me let me just complete the thought. Like here, the whole idea is that this is really hard to imagine. That you show up and you have your own sort of iftar party but this is kind of like having ima- like like people celebrate christmas without any without even thinking of christ I and mean, we've got elves mm-hmm. and santa claus and all this stuff so if you imagine if you could do eid or think of ramadan that way that, that's okay. all i'm saying but, but, you but you yeah will, what are you saying about Jesus? i'm
3: just thinking this is why when i read your book i was confused by that part because i understood cultural christians because there's so many cultural stuff about Christianity that people want to keep because they're just fun, the music, the food, the celebrations. I understood cultural Judaism because there's so many fun like, you know rituals and all the you know I don't know I understood so I, I understand some Jews hate that and they don't want to have they, they want to leave the ideology plus they hate the culture as well. But some people want to keep it. I ne- I did not understand that with Islam, because with my experience, people that leave Islam, they're like, I, I couldn't think there of were it
1: fewer as, things. Ho-
3: yeah. yeah, no, no, there was nothing. But I'm telling you why there's a difference between <laughs> me. OK, but um, the, every single person that I met that left Islam, they're like, I don't want anything to do with this shit ever again. Right. But I understand that now as a as somebody that has left Islam for a long time, now I'm coming back to like uh, checking out the history, the history of Islam and all that. I'm, I'm finding some interest in it and I find some, uh, some parts of it very, very, you know, I'm very curious about it so I understand that part but I couldn't a lot of that is because Islam has let me been let me finish let me finish my let me finish this thought yeah. I couldn't understand it when it comes to the culture and the music and the rituals because there was nothing fun there and the reason why you found some fun in there and I didn't is because you grew up in a mixed Sunni Shia society I grew up in Iran which was only Shia and I tell you Ali there is everything Especially in Iran, in a country where you have the more Zoroastrian, more ancient Persian celebrations, and you compare it with all the Shia rituals,
1: like Naros. Naros yes. and everything. Yeah.
3: everything that seems Persian. I, I'm not. The, I'm not the nationalist, but it just. This is just how it comes off us, right? Everything that it came off as Persian or Zoroastrian or ancient, you know, Persian Empire seemed like a celebration of life. Seemed like colorful. Seemed like getting gifts, and you know, and everything that had to do with Shiism was black, was about crying, was about death, was about beating yourself, it was about blood, right? So, growing up, we just saw that, like, oh, religion is you know, religious rituals, it was about it, you know, you like it's looked evil, it looks like cultish blood cultish, it looks like evil, it's about crying and being upset all the time. And that's every, how
1: I, that's how it is right now. Okay? Right. So so here's a, let me let, I'll tell you. So here's no, the contrast. But I'm just saying. But comparing
3: like that. that comparing that to Sunnis, it's less like that. Sunnis do have more. You know, we don't even call, you know we don't even call it aid when it comes to Shia celebration. Sunnis most like so. I, I mean, I understand that Shias outside of Iran are different, right? But in Iran, when we say aid, we're not talking about anything Shia. Aid okay, is so- only about Nowruz, which is the Persian ancient Persian pre-Islamic celebration at the beginning of the new year. Okay, well, let me tell you. They, I, have a- I was confused when I ke- when I left Iran and people were talking about, we were saying, "Oh, Aid, Mubarak, and they were saying, to- so- talking about something as is- Islamic. I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Aid is like uh, the spring, like so. Th- so this is why I was I couldn't even understand how you f- see anything fun in religion okay, so I- because so in since- Iran it's a bit different. We're going.
1: So so here's so the example that you're giving of the Shia versus the uh, Zoroastrian thing, I have a similar kind of thing within my own household. Okay, so I come from an ethnostry Shia background, which is all about death and crying and mourning and everything and muharram mm-hmm. and self-flagellation. Uh, whereas uh, the Shpoh, my wife, comes from an Ismaili Shia background, the Sixer background, and for them... Every time we're mourning something, mourning is kind of banned in their religion. So every month they have a dance thing at their mosque. You're right. Okay. That where all the guys, girls mixed together, they dance, and they all stay. Even the secular and the atheist Ismailis, they show up there and they still go to these things so they can see all their friends. They celebrate Navros. They they they, uh, they they have a lot of the the sort of the Persian. Um, uh, the, the same kind of uh, the holidays and everything like that that they celebrate. So there is that aspect. Mm-hmm. And they have that celebration thing. And she always asks me, she's like, why wouldn't you just come with me and celebrate all of this stuff instead of like keeping the cultural elements of Shiism And for me, it was very different. I think it is probably different because we were outside of Iran. And even though we did wear black and we went to these medallas, no, we didn't really listen to it or care for it we just went there because we we just met our friends we had tea and samosas afterwards like you'd cry for about 15 minutes everybody would cry and then they'd come out and then everybody'd have tea and samosas we'd talk about things we'd get to stay up late at night and the other thing for me that was very important as a musician is that that i learned you know how people christians learn music from gospel choirs and stuff like that a lot of really big singers like beyonce they started singing in church so for me a lot of that started with the with the Nohas and the mercy and the salams and everything yeah Yeah, different experience so so yeah it was a different experience than you uh, number one um number two uh, there are actually really horrible things that can also be secularized into fun things. And the most bizarre one is Easter, right? The crucifixion, of Jesus, and yes, it's yeah. the resurrection the, and all that. But, uh, but in Passover. Iran, there's
3: no, there no desire for that, right? The, the, yeah. Because in Iran, for example, where I come from, people are like, we don't need to secularize this shit. We already have our own superior celebra- non-religious c- celebration.
1: Well, I, listen, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that way back in time at some point, <laughs> Uh, when uh, this whole somber reflection on the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection and all the lessons of that were replaced by uh, bunnies and multicolored eggs and kids yeah, going and on Easter hunts. Yeah. Know, so what I'm saying is, it, it's completely unrecognizable. There's no symbol of Jesus on a cross or any of that crap with yeah. the Easter bunnies and the eggs. But that is what secularizing religion is. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm know. i not saying it
3: won't happen. I'm just saying right now there's no desire for it, at least where I come from. But can we get yeah, to I, understand we, that. I, I yeah. we, we need to finish the patron questions because I need to go okay, so. Okay. as well. So- yeah
1: yeah yeah let's do that because uh, it's actually it's midnight where i am too mm-hmm. so i should probably go too so um there were some good right, questions I saw.
3: So. L- ask one from rocket sauce and also one from matt i saw a couple
1: from matt yeah i saw it? the one from and yeah, also so matt asking he's saying what's morality without survivalism as in living or modern civilization where there's no war I, what's morality without survivalism i don't completely get that yeah i don't get it either and he's saying how. To, then he also says how morality in Islam came to be, as is this, Islam is indeed the worst religion in this age. Um, well, that the
3: first one is like a whole episode of itself. But I'll tell you, the second one is an easy answer. It is yes. the Answer is yes, but not among all religions. And I don't know if this is true. Okay, so if you, if you, if Islam is the worst worst living religion. But I would argue and somebody that understands like North mythology that better than I do, but I would argue that if Vikings were still around and they had their religion, that was worse than Islam. And the reason why I say that is because in Islam, you go to, I, I don't know, by the way, this is I'm just I'm just this is just a fun thing to talk about, but I don't know if it's true. I'm just like Randomly thinking about stuff, but in Islam you can you, you go to the best part of heaven if you die as a martyr, but that's not. Mm-hmm. The, but you can still go to heaven even if you're not a martyr, right? In Islam, my understanding is that Vikings believe that the only way to go to Valhalla is if you die in a war. You have to have your sword or your axe or whatever in your hand to die to be able to go to Valhalla. Imagine how dangerous would that be if that ideology was still around. Like that's much more pro-war than Islamists, so i mean i uh, again it's it's fun to enjoy mythology but imagine if that mytho- if if that ideology became a world religion that was still alive today you would have a lot more excuses for going to war and more people motivated to die in war if the only way to go to walhalla was to die with a sword in your hand holy shit, that's that's pretty i, I mean islam doesn't say that the only way to go to heaven it's for you to be a martyr. It's just one of the best ways, but not the only yeah. way. So I think that would have been more dangerous if it was still around. I don't know. What do you think, Ellie?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, uh, no, I, I agree with that. I was looking at this other question from Matt, and I was trying to figure it out. Uh, he's saying, did philosophy form morality? Um, I feel like, I don't know, I think philosophy is a very, very broad term. Uh, what? It's just a...
3: I mean, if philosophy is just thinking about stuff and coming up with answers, then if you cat- if you uh, l- l- I give you two categories of when people answer where morality comes from. The first answer is when it comes to the natural desires that you have for cooperation and sympathy. The second answer is that the social standards that we come up with to satisfy those desires. So, um, so, so it, it would be true. A philosophy is just naturally coming up with answers to these things. So, when it comes to the natural desires that we have, no philosophy had nothing to do with that. That's just more genetics thing but when it comes to second part by definition of philosophy yes of course it's philosophy because when it comes when it comes to coming up with standards and values just the whole process of thinking about that uh, would be a philosophical question it would be a philosophical question that requires a scientific answer okay because i think philosophy is good for coming up with questions but not necessarily good good at coming up with answers right
1: thank you (laughs) <laughs> thank you i got so much crap for just writing that i just said oh, that, really because all of the yeah because all of the things about the only way to come up with come to objective answers objective answers about right. anything uh, is is the is science that's the only way there's no other way right. everything else can claim to do it and then people talk about mathematics and mathematics is kind of like the language of science it's also a philosophical realm so there's some overlap there mm. but this idea that philosophy is good to generate questions, questions. and the most useful parts of philosophy right are even the question generation have already been incorporated into science and the scientific method exactly. like hypothesis generation null hypothesis exactly, generation yes. right falsifiable all of these things have been have already been incorporated into it but eventually if you want to get to an objective answer then uh, only science is going to bring you that when you want to analyze it and mm. discuss it and find out the best way to apply it in an ethical moral way then yes those are philosophical things and that's where when when uh, phil was saying that it is subjective uh, you know i agree with that
3: and and again that's true even when it comes to morality because people people might think like oh yeah that's true with scientific stuff but morality is not a scientific question no it's com- it completely is um, philosophy could give you moral questions moral like dilemmas and stuff but again even when it comes to even when it comes to the best answers it's even when it comes to the topic of morality science is the not only the best way that we have to answer it's, it's the question. best way to inform
1: no, that no, that no I would go as that.
3: far as saying is the I will go more extreme than saying it's the best way to answer these questions I would say it's the only way to answer these questions all right
1: yeah, I, it's, it's the only way to objectively answer these questions. But there are, when you don't have an answer, but you need one, like, for instance, in in, in systems of justice, what kind of evidence is good enough? Yeah. Is circumstantial evidence enough to convict? You know, things like that. I mean, those are kinds of things where uh, you have to extrapolate. You have to, you have to, you, you can't come to a definitive answer. Yeah, those are not really
3: to. answers. Those are just those guesses. Those will have guesses. to be. Those are guesses.
1: Monk yeah yeah okay okay so it's, <laughs> right. yeah it's a semantic thing yeah. anyway i think uh i think that's it is there anything that i did we miss anything rocket sauce is saying did huh sorry yeah. go ahead no go, go ahead the rocket sauce sauce is saying did vikings have threat of hell but i think that's part of another conversation that these guys are i don't having. know i don't know um, you, you guys so... correct
3: me if i'm wrong about anything let us know in the comment section yeah
1: yeah, yeah. So, anyway, uh, that was really interesting. I, I want to actually get into this more, and I think we should talk about this more in terms of uh, just what. Um,
3: By the way, morale- tweet at tweet at Sorry. Ali uh, your guest suggestions. Tw- go to Ali Rizvi's Twitter account, follow him, and tell him, um, tell him because he's in. I, I'm in charge of fixing all the technical stuff where it comes to our podcast. Ali is in charge of. Finding, inviting, and bringing I, on guests. So all go, of the guests, yeah. So, so go and when you when you when you go to Ali Resmi's t- Twitter account and recommend uh, um, guests to him, tag the guests that you're recommending so that the guest becomes aware of our podcast as well. Okay. So yeah. please do that. Go. Um, yeah. You know, so anyway.
1: So I had this. I, I and before we close, I wanted to. Um, bring up this uh, new book that has come out on scripture by Karen Armstrong, who is uh, uh, oh. Armin's favorite writer, writer of all time, I think, right? <laughs> no, Am I right?
3: right. Well, y- um, yes on some subjects and definitely no when it comes to his <laughs> re- religion apologism. Right,
1: so so she talks about you know what are what are sacred texts. We know what scripture, and uh, Nicholas Kristof, the New York Times uh, columnist, wrote a review of it, it, and he wrote a really glowing review of it about how you know texts should be interpreted and so on. And I really like Nicholas Kristof, so I wrote a whole tweet thread in response to it, Um, and uh, he quoted it. He actually, yeah. So he went and he um, said that he said that this is a, a critical thread in response to my article and that's what I wrote, which I thought was actually quite generous of him. And you know, he actually wrote, he's like a critical take in the form of a thread on my review of Karen Armstrong's new book on scripture and quoted it. So if you guys want to, you should, you should go check that out. That is, out. I you know, that is that- so
3: great. Like I wish more people were like that. Like this guy is like, Oh, here's a perfect response criticism like of so my much. view yeah like you yeah. know if people this is how you handle criticism i right? accept it yeah. i hope i'm like that i don't know if i'm like that i i wish i wish like somebody could bring some strong criticism against my view and i could be like oh this is great this is a great pushback against my views i hope Nobody, all of us you could you be have mature kind of,
1: i have when you when okay. you bring up devil's advocate arguments a lot of times you're acknowledging that those are arguments that should be listened to right mm-hmm. so you're in a way showing respect to those arguments even if you don't think the arguments mean much but in any case so they kind of did that and i actually want to i would love to get karen armstrong on this (laughs) i am going to reach out to her i'm very very pessimistic i don't think she's going to come on so uh yeah i I don't think it's going to happen but nevertheless i think we should sit and we should uh, talk about this idea Mm. about the interpretation of scripture because this is such a common trope that i hear from all the time with nick christoph and karen armstrong talking about how scriptures need to be to analyze. I'm not going to go into the, what I wrote in the tweet thread. It was actually quite, it, it was a very good response which is why I think he quoted it. Mm-hmm. Um, a but, link to it in uh, the description
3: of the public version of this podcast.
1: Sure, I, I will, but I think we should have a separate episode on this and I'll, okay. I'll, I'll read out the whole right, response so. then. Exactly. And we should probably have a live stream on this even if we can't get Karen uh, Armstrong on the yes, podcast. Yes, so I think that would be a good thing because that's, that's kind of related to uh, this. What is the book again topic? by
3: Karen Armstrong? What's the name? So people, if you want to go check it out.
1: Oh man, now I have to plug it. Okay, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's called The Lost Art of Scripture.
3: So, and it defends scripture and, like, basically against people like us that is calling it, like, the whole misunderstanding.
1: Thing. So, what she's saying is that the fundamentalists use it to justify all of their misogyny. But there's a the lot
3: of good in there. It.
1: Yeah. And then, no, then the secular liberals use it to justify their bigot. Oof. So, Wait, that so
3: is an... say that again? To justify what? Because you got cut for a Her sentence.
1: basic No, no, just so
3: that's th- the last th- sentence. Do, do atheists use it to justify their bigotry?
1: Yeah, the secular liberals use uh, the same passages to justify their bigotry against religion, to expose Oof. it as a practice. Okay, practicalized... come bring
3: her on, bring her on! Let's, let's this. Uh, yeah,
1: well, she's not going to come on, it's not going to happen, but okay. still. Um, uh, it's, uh, I, think, I still think we should discuss it. Uh, I'm actually going to uh, read through the book. I'm actually going to get the book uh, because I I do respect her for putting this out there. So right. I'm going Mar- to do, Mar- qu- do Mar- Mar-
3: uh, Mars's last question.
1: Okay, that, Mars. Let's
3: do that and then go. That Mars.
1: All right. So Mars has said. Have you guys thought about maybe having Yasmin Muhammad back on? She just released yes. her new book. Yes, yes, yes. yes and I reached out her to her. Yes. And I'm going to follow up. And I, uh, I'll see if she has the time and if she's able to come on. Yes. And I think that that would be awesome. The last uh, I heard from her, she was up for coming on. So, um, yeah. I, hope, so I think that will happen. She was a former host on this podcast. And she just finished. So, by the way, Yas actually just did an episode with Sam Harris. Uh, a lot what? of you have heard her story. Are going to hear her tell the story, but I think she she did it in a very very powerful way. So by the um, way, do thank you to late-
3: yes, for when we, uh, I don't know if you guys knew, uh, but we just recently lost our Twitter account, Secular Jihadis, and we did like a whole Twitter storm at uh, at Twitter support uh, and tried to get our account back, and we finally managed. We did get our account back. Thanks to all the people that retweeted that and supported us in trying to get our Twitter account back, it got suspended, you know, for, mm-hmm. for you know for whatever reason. And also thank you to Yas for retweeting that. So that was her, she supported us in getting our account back. And also thank you to Richard Dawkins uh, and everyone else that did, to, that supported us in, you know to yeah, thank you. So. Oh,
1: Richard Dawkins did too. Yes, I, I missed that. Yeah, he did. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah, anyway, we're going to... Yeah, let's see. Richard Dawkins also has a new book out. I've tried to reach out to him. He's a lot harder to get on, but let's see. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, In any case... um... Yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. I think this is a really good topic. I'd love to do more stuff like this, and it would be really good to have Yaz on. It would be really good to have that live stream about the Karen Armstrong book. Uh, there's also an ex-Muslim group in South Africa, ex-Muslims of South Africa. Oh, let's bring him on. Yeah. And uh, we've been uh, yeah talking about having them on. A lot of times, guys, uh, sometimes guests get delayed because there are time differences. Some... There's some of them where uh, we can only do it, say, on a Saturday <laughs> or Sunday, since Armin and I and the guests are all in three different time zones. Yeah. So for those, the scheduling actually gets pushed out a little bit more. Um, so at, at some point, it will happen. Also, though. can you, Ali, can
3: you look into any atheist major atheist groups in Nigeria? I really want us to be more informed about what's happening in Nigeria right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. And uh, if you could, since you're now in the area, um, Indonesia and Malaysia. Oh, like Reach yeah. out, see if you can find some people over there. I think they have the same time difference, so it'll actually work out really well if right. we do that. Okay, okay. Sounds All right. All so right. anyway, tweet at us with guest suggestions, and, and thank you for listening again. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Mars. Thank you, James. Thank you, Anne. Uh, thank you, Darko. Thank you um, for being patrons. Matt Rose, Rocket Sauce. Uh all you guys, everyone who joined in, thank you very much. Right, guys, seriously, and,
3: seriously thank you for being patrons. We really like all the energy and time and resources that we spend on making this show happen. Like I we don't thank you enough for supporting the show. So thank James, you. James, James Lowerman's James here and
1: too, and so is Lois. Lois. And uh yeah, everybody. And if you're okay. not a patron
3: and if you're not a patron, please link is in the description. Please support us in any way you can. There's a PayPal link as well, by the way. Alright, great.
1: All right, great. All right, love you guys. Okay everybody. See Bye. you Thank you. See you next time.
0: The Secular Jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA That's what we have been told but we haven't received our checks yet If you like what we do, please support us Share the podcast with your friends Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions or head over to secularjihadists.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video Have your questions read and answered on the air and more Till next time May the flying spaghetti monster be with you.